Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of the show. Uh, now, this is slightly different because only a couple of days ago, uh, I had a conversation with this next guest and I enjoyed our conversation so much. But then we ended up having another conversation offline and we both said, do you know what? We ought to record another uh, another episode. So that's exactly what we're going to do here. So my guest today, uh, welcoming back is Fahana Kudas. Uh, Fahana is Global Head of Diversity and Inclusion, currently supporting NASA on the equity mission, having spent time building inclusive workplaces workplace, in fintech, banking, broadcasting and media. She's worked in some of the big organizations that you might recognize, such as Sky and NBC Universal. Multi-award-winning uh, thought leader, recognised at the European Head of Diversity of the Year Awards and in Women in Fintech Powerless as a top standout 35, to name but a few. Bahana, it's great to have you back. I know it's only been a few days, but it's great to welcome you back today. And thank you so much for having me yet again. Um, I, I absolutely echo what you said. I enjoyed our conversation enough to come back and have a second one. Um, but so thank you for inviting me back into the space. No, it's great to have you back. It really is. I want to get really down into the nitty gritty though today, the reality of what diversity, equity and inclusion is or what it looks like on a day-to-day basis. Um, so here's, here's one thought that's been rattling around in my mind for a while now. So 2020 was an incredible year, wasn't it? It was a life-changing year for most of us in the world, if not everybody in the world. Organisations, countries, individuals, all of us, I think, were reshaped to some degree by 2020, largely by lockdown and the whole COVID and pandemic experience. But there were other big things that happened in 2020, and one of those was the tragic death of George Floyd. And of course, if we remember, you know, the world was in an uproar, wasn't it, Fahane? You know, there were protests around every single country. In fact, I remember there were even protests in war-torn Syria uh, around uh, the George Floyd uh, issues and and, and racism uh, as as an entity. I remember then, uh, and I'm sure you did, uh, that uh, many, many... Uh, leaders, both political and organisational, stood up, made statements. Lots of organisations and companies made statements on their pla- on their uh, websites. I got called into a lot of organisations to talk about racism, etc., etc., etc. But a part of me is still asking: So, where are we now, three years later? What has changed three years later? I mean, it was only a matter of a few days ago that we had the Casey review into the UK police service, you know, talking about misogyny and racism, and it still exists 30, 40 years after the Scarman report, which was in the early 80s. And it's not just the police service, is it? This is still endemic in in the culture uh, across so many organisations. So 
So what's happened? Why did we have all that noise in 2020 and why is so little changed? So first of all, I'm going to call it what, what it was. It, it was. it was a George Floyd murder. And I think often we, we mind our P's and Q's so much that we don't call something what it is. And that comes yeah. at the risk of fully recognising what we have in front of us and the scale of that. Um, respectfully, we need to work through these challenges that we're faced with. We need to work through these injustices and, and we do that by, by good use of language, professional language. But I think it's important and entirely respectful to George Floyd and his family to call it what it is. A murder, yes, it's tragic, but I'd also want to take, like, take the moment to say thank you. Thank you, George Floyd, right? Because George created a, a movement, a movement that since since that moment till now has felt that we have moved forward. And I think we have moved forward in some respects, significantly. You said it there, companies came out in their, in their hundreds, in their thousands, to support allegiance, to, to show, show that vocal alliance, support. Companies also put action behind their words. We saw an increase of uh, roles like myself in businesses. And so I think it was a f- almost one of the first times ever that I felt this something is happening here, something great. Yeah. And unfortunately, it took a tragic murder for that to happen. And so when we talk about where are we now, that's, that is what makes me think about actually, have we really moved on? So to answer your question, I think we have had moved on. And certainly in areas we still have moved on. But overall, if I'm going to be honest, I think we've gone backwards. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think we've, we, we've allowed, um, in, in some respects, bad layers of um, systemic inequality to layer upon layer on the things that have been there already, that have been mm-hmm. there for a long time. George Floyd helped surface those issues, helped us be brave to come out and have these discussions. You know, George Floyd is an example. Azim Rafiq is another example. These are, you know, we talked about um, change rebels in our first discussion. These are our change rebels, our positive change makers. But unfortunately, when we reflect on how have they created that change, it's through tragedy, loss, trauma that have come up first of consequence. So where are we now? I think we've gone backwards, cool. And I think we have a significant more amount of work to do where we sit now. I think in some some sense, you, you're absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, with everything that we've heard within English cricket, within football, within the police service, within so many organisations and sectors, um, you can see that there's a whole lot of work yet to be done. So why is it that there is still this work to be done. Why is it that we're not doing the work? What What do you think is holding organisations and leaders back from demonstrating what I call leadership courage to do what needs to be done, right? That's a fundamental leadership value. You've got to do the right thing. It's all about integrity. So what is it that's preventing us from from doing that, from, from overcoming this shadow of racism uh, for... Forever. Hard one to answer, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. <laughs> um, I think for me, it, it comes back to simplicity about accepting what is happening right in front of us and starting with, with accepting and vocalising that. 
you know, we talk, talked about the Casey report, very clearly outlines that the issues have been there for a very long time. Mm. And reports that have come out are saying the same thing. And when we ask ourselves why, why is it still happening? I think the crux of it is, is people are failing to acknowledge and accept what's happening. And then beyond that, what we have is that things are happening and we choose to not give attention to it and not deal with it. And that's the crux of it. We know this, these, these things are happening, that inequity, injustice happens in every environment that we see around us. But the fact that we know, know that's happening and are literally doing nothing about it, does that worsen the problem? I think it does, because that signals that um, it's okay. This stuff should happen. And when, when it does happen, that we're not going to make people accountable. We're not going to um, put systems and processes in place to actually root that out uh, and push that out. Because let's be honest, right? If I commit a murder right now, I need to be held accountable. To the same degree, if I have committed misogyny, bullying in the workplace, harassment in the workplace, then I should be also be accountable. So why is it different? Because when, so I'm going to carry my thought on here, because when we, when we think mm-hmm. about the effects of misogyny, um, violence against women, um, bullying, harassment in the workplace, these are all highly, highly traumatic events. Um, we, we won't have enough time to talk about the, the complexity of what that means. Mm. But for an individual to go through any of those things that I've just listed is life-threatening. It affects your state of mind, your physical well-being, your ability to be switched on, your ability to make an income just to feed yourself and your family, the ability to 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 survive in a family or or, or friendship or, or, or love setting, right? Because it ruins the relationships you have as well. So the effects of all of the things above have significant life impact. I'm not sure people really understand unless they go through it themselves. I think that's a that's a really big part of the ingredient to the ongoing challenge and problem. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think unless you go through some form of dim- discrimination, isolation, bullying as a consequence of uh, or, or, of uh, what minority group that you might come from, unless you've been through that. You can't replicate, you can't describe, you can't, you can't truly empathise with that pain, can you? You can't explain it to somebody else exactly how it feels because, as you say, the impact is just so far and wide. It doesn't just impact the individual. It is not a, just a, a, a mental thing. It can correlate into a physical thing. It can affect their loved ones. It can affect their wider community, etc., etc. The The ripple effect caused by... Uh, this kind of behaviour is incredible, but it's unseen. And and as a consequence, it's very, very difficult to explain it to, 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 to the wider group of people for them to take it with the depth and level of seriousness that it deserves. If everyone yeah. knew, for example, if everybody knew what it felt like to be the victim of racism then I'm sure most people are empathic. Most people are. Most people care. But if they truly understood the level of pain and hurt that it causes, they would be in uproar. But they don't. 
and it's hard to explain it to them. It is hard to explain. And and this is one of my ideas uh, in the making a few, a few years ago, but I haven't, I haven't made it happen. But to create that feeling where someone can step into this space yeah. and get even a snippet of what these individuals go through, not the whole lot, just a snippet, right? They will be, they will be shocked. That's a heart attack in the making, right? Um, there's two things there I, I just want to summarise in, in, that we've just talked about. The unseen and the unfelt. Yeah. Absolutely. No one, no one will ever realise what that situation can lead to if they've not been in it. 100%. So how do we get people there? But secondly, it's the unseen. So when we go back and say, what do we think has gone wrong? And what is still going wrong? It's because these situations are unseen, unheard. So when something happens, what is the most natural thing that occurs? They are hushed. Yeah. yeah. If you look at institutions, whether it's leaders that are saying, right, I'm going to deal with this, or uh, no, that didn't happen, you know, de- denying you of exactly what's happened, of your feelings, or whether it's the systems processes, you know, organisations have HR functions. Whether it's those individuals that are protecting and squashing um, what's happened, the, this is what is causing us to be unseen and unheard and yeah. unfelt. So I think that that's that's creating a lot of harm where things happen, but where what that one brave soul decides to speak out and say, "I've just gone through something," or "I think I've gone through something," but to, but to be just pushed back, not in the seat they were in, but pushed back out of their seat then actually that creates a yo-yo effect. Yeah, this, this is incredibly interesting because it's raising a few, quite a few thoughts in me. Uh, number one thought, and I just want to get these thoughts out because as I'm getting old, I forget my thoughts and sometimes they're like nuggets of gold. So let me just get these thoughts out. Number one, uh, uh, this unseen, unfelt, the concept of the unseen and the unfelt. I think, you know, going back on to, there are so many leaders out there that literally cannot be expected to truly, truly, truly understand the impact that this kind of behaviour, whether it's racism, sexism, homophobia, whatever it might be, that this this this, this behaviour has on the victims of this kind of discrimination and bias. Um, and if they did, if they truly did understand it, they would be in uproar, they'd do something about that. But because they can't empathise truly, because they can't really step in the, into those shoes because they don't really understand that level of pain – what they then tend to do is they tend to um, maybe just create a woolly effect, as I call it, uh, use really beautiful language, very verbose, uh, very uh, uh, professional kind of language. And it actually makes the whole situation seem a bit, a bit less ugly than what it actually is, right? It sweetens that situation. And also, as a consequence of that, there's a lack of courage because – what we don't know about, sometimes we can be fearful of. So if we don't know what the true impact of this, some leaders out there will be fearful of that. And that's why there's not this universal acceptance of things like institutionalized racism, misogyny, homophobia, which we know exists in society by its very same, very, very simplest of definitions. It will exist in most organizations because it sits within our policies. We don't mean it to happen, but it happens. It's unwitting, as uh, uh, some, yeah, so, um, McPherson once said, it's unwitting racism, unwitting homophobia. 
And I don't understand why so many leaders just don't accept it for what it is, because only when you accept something can you do something about that. And finally, I think, you know, for me is this issue around people who are from minoritized communities sit in these organizations and or in the community, and they are affected by these biases, this discrimination. And people therefore expect it to be either physical or traumatic to an, because of an extremism element to all of that. But sometimes it's a nuance. It's a, a subtlety. It's something that's even more indescribable. It is a feeling. It is the way that you are spoken to, the, the, the way that you are looked at. It's when you are slowed down for promotion, using all sorts of nice language, but you're slowed down in your promotion prospects. It's when you are moved to different areas. It's when you're given slightly more work or less work than your colleagues. It's that. It's, it's very nuanced, very sort of um, almost like this finger in the air kind of sixth sense that you get, that you pick up on, uh, that other people simply won't probably uh, even understand if you try to explain it to them. Yeah, and, and the last point is probably even more harmful than, than the other extremes of trauma we've, we've talked about earlier. Because why is it more harmful? People, people think it's all in their head. People accept it. Yeah. And by accepting it, what we as, as that, you know, often the, the minorities, so the global majority, let's say it probably the global majority, we choose to accept it and we say, oh, it's not happening. We're so polite that we don't actually even even voice it. Um, you know, and we're, t- we're talking about how our upbringing, our culture here. We're so polite that we want we want to, you know, create harmony and unity that we don't raise it because we think, ah, oh, it was just a one-off or I'm, I think it's in my head. But I think it's those events are even more harmful. Um, and um, I think you, know, you said something there in one of your golden nuggets, Cole. This is why we've got to, yes, be professional, but at the same time start to call out things for what they are. You know, I, yeah. I very clearly said George Floyd murder earlier. Now, there's a dis- distinction between tragedy versus murder. Yes, it was a tragedy, but that's a man that had his life taken away because someone else chose to. And when we bring that back into the workplace, it's exactly the same. We, you know, we're talking about microaggressions that someone else choosing to to uh, you know implicit bias um, actions on you that create difference. And so we've got to call it out for what it is. The other thing is, yeah. um, when when these things happen. Um, we need systems and processes that support us. And unfortunately, systems and processes and frameworks within organisations are not good enough. And then when we look beyond outside of the organisations, how does law really support us? Yes, we've mm-hmm. got the Fantastic Equality Act, right? And it grows day by day, right? But beyond that, what really is there? So let, let's t- address another red herring in the room. There's something called the non-disclosure agreement, NDA. And so when individuals go through these, these trauma events, whether it's misogyny, homophobic, uh, homophobia, um, racial discrimination in the workplace, whatever it may be, if we follow the process of what typically happens, one of the other exit points is that, okay, um, uh, colleague, we've recognised you've gone through something. I don't want to admit it. Uh, if I admit it, I'm going to be at fault. 
and I don't want it to get yeah. out because it's going to ruin me, it's going to ruin my brand. So let's bring the NDA in and use it for how it shouldn't be used in the first place, right? Let's bring the NDA in and let's, let's, let's move the issue away. Let's give you some money. Let's get you to sign this form and let's not be able to talk about it going forward. Exactly. But what, what does, what's the consequence of that, right? Now, there are benefits in that closure, maybe to a respect, sense, sense of respect, et cetera, but there are significant consequences. Significant disbenefits. About, yeah. Yeah. We talked about it earlier. It goes back to the unseen, unfelt, but also I talked a bit about closure there for that, for that individual, but really there is no closure because you've, you've actually disregarded what that individual has gone through. And not taken the opportunity perhaps, uh, Fahana, of learning the lessons and implementing that learning into the future policies and practices in your organisation. So you're literally just waiting for that time bomb to, 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 to blow up again with somebody else. There you go. Bingo, right? So, so there is a d- damage that NDAs are causing as a result of this because, yes, something's happened, but we are, as organisational leaders at the moment, going one step further to say, I want to make, make it happen that this never happened in the first place. So no one yeah. ever talks about it again. And our record externally to our investors, to our customers, whoever, is pristine, right? So when someone comes along to me as a company and says, can you report the number of um, disputes you've had? It'll be zero, right? Yeah. And so it goes back to the unseen and unheard. Um, and if we strip it back, you know, going back to the fir- first conversation we had, if we strip it back, what we really need to do is start moving the dial on being heard, being seen. Um, I talk a lot about um, there being personal consequences when you, when you choose to be seen and heard, right? Let's not take yeah. it lightly. We've seen, you know, significant people coming out in the public to do that. But how how do we get there to make it the norm where people are seen and heard, where the next person comes along and says, I'm comfortable to also be seen and heard? Because that's the culture we're not there at. Yeah, I think, you know, we I, I certainly experienced that with the Black Police Association when we first set it up back in the early 90s. We were secretly meeting with each other, meeting in, in each other's houses. And as we started coming out more openly, there were a lot of our colleagues who were suspicious of us, but um, eventually I think the culture did shift in the police service. So uh, I, I think, you know, the police service does, res- you know, deserve some recognition because where it was before BPA and where it was when I left the police service was that the BPA was a, a you know, a, a very well respected uh, part of the organization uh, and people quite comfortable with that. For me though, um, in amongst everything that we're talking about, Accepting that most white heterosexual male leaders of organizations simply will not get what it truly feels like to be the victim, if you like, of either out and out discrimination or this nuanced discrimination that we're talking about, which is even harder to, to, to describe. There are still a lot of leaders out there who genuinely do want to create the right environment. And, you know, I, I, I love having those conversations with those individuals who say, Cole, I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the issues. I know that there are issues, but I don't get them. And I may not ever get them. But what we need to do is create a culture where those issues are openly talked about, where those where there is a mutual respect for everyone, mutual understanding, mutual sort of embracing of difference with, with within our teams. 
Um, and that's why I work with organizations to create these emotionally intelligent cultures and why I talk about human-centered leadership. Because if we create that human-centric culture, then actually diversity becomes a, 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 a byproduct of that. Inclusion becomes a byproduct because everybody recognizes that everybody is different. So when people say to me, it's all very well talking about it. What's the solution? I think that is the solution. Focusing on your culture, your environment, make sure it's human-centric environment, make sure that every single person, irrespective of who they are, is appreciated, is seen, is valued, uh, have strong values in your organisation, live by your values in your organisation, make sure that the leadership shadow that you cast emulates those values of the organisation, then actually you will have a foundation of trust that uh, everyone can operate within. And, you know, uh, you will become that employer of choice. You will attract a a diverse uh, kind of uh, employee base, Uh, but you'll also have cognitive diversity where people feel comfortable talking from a different standpoint. You'll have creativity, innovation in your organization as well. So your bottom line uh, will will uh, will uh, improve, your performance metrics will improve, the confidence, satisfaction from your client base, your stakeholders will improve in your organization as well. So actually, yeah. it, you know, we, we, we overcomplicate it, I think, but I don't think the solution is that difficult. And I think what we tend to do is because we don't understand it, we tend to use this very verbose language over the years. And I've seen it over decades where new language comes in. You know, 20 years ago, we weren't even talking about microaggressions or even unconscious bias. These words didn't exist. There were other words that we used or other phrases to describe exactly the same thing. So I think what we do, we, we, we introduce all this new language and it makes us feel comfortable that we're doing something about it by creating this new rhetoric. Don't you think? Yeah, I, you know, language often gets in the way of of what we need to achieve. People people use language as an excuse often, cool, right? To say we're spending so much time in in agreeing what that language means that we're not even getting to the crux of what we need to yeah. tackle in the first place. So it is really as simple as that. And really, what's happened is we've allowed complexity to be layered on top of each other, right? And and let's just give give it give a moment to those leaders by the way that you talked about that you described so beautifully there that that are there that do want to meet us that do want to say let's create this this culture right um because they absolutely deserve the credit right without them there would be no diversity inclusion yeah um so let's give them you know the the applause they need and let's put the spotlight on them Um, because there is a lot of good that is being done um and and, you know we, we started the conversation um in our first discussion call about the word diversity but really, our starting point is inclusion. It's not diversity. Yes, it is. It's not equality. It's not really yes. equity either, right? It's inclusion. And in the in the uh, inclusion in the inclusion strategies that I've led, right, I've always started at inclusion. I've, so what does that mean? That cre- means creating the environment where people want to be in, where you can invite people in, and when they're there, they want to be there, right? That's the approach that I've taken. And it is as simple as that, Fahana, for me. And that's the thing, right? Diversity, uh, equity, inclusion is, should be a byproduct and will come naturally. So what you should be focusing on is inclusion and equity, right? Um, and it can be achieved. And, yeah, just want to say thank you to those leaders and those individuals that have chosen to be in, in the journey with us, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I come across these kind of individuals all the time and I only work with these kind of leaders who have a genuine desire to, to create that environment of inclusivity in their organisations and their teams. 
so I'm quite fortunate because the people I tend to meet tend to be these kind of leaders. And I think we absolutely need to applaud them. Uh, and it takes great courage, doesn't it, to say, hey, I don't know. I don't have the monopoly on on, on knowledge. Um, I don't know what it feels like, but I know it's not right. And that's what people need to be saying. I don't know what it feels like, but I know it's not right. And therefore I want to change it. Sometimes the moment we start talking about diversity, it actually puts people's backs up. So I think if we approach it from the other end of the telescope, as you're talking about, and just talk about creating the right environment where everybody is included, what we're actually saying is we're creating, we're creating this inclusive uh, environment where diversity is embraced. And it's as subtle as that. So these nuances that so many people have experienced over the years, we just need to use the same nuances in our language. And then we need to stop talking about language and we need to just get on and do what needs to be done, right? Because change can happen. Change is, change is happening, Cool, right? If you look at the United Kingdom, right, I think the United Kingdom is an incredible country. I genuinely am so proud of this country in terms of its diverse makeup. We are so uh, such a diverse country. If you think about, I mean, just look at the, the, the Queen's funeral and how many people from different colours, different faiths, different, you know, uh, heritages uh, showed up for the Queen's funeral, all with the common um, emotion of sadness for having lost the head of state. If you look at the the wealth and depth of the intellects that we've got in this country, they come from every single walk of life. And that is the beauty of the UK. And we don't live in isolated uh, areas like they do in, you know, in parts of America where, you know, different communities are segregated. We tend to be living side by side with each other. So there's a there's a lot of strength that we can be building on within the UK because of how we are already. And I think sometimes we beat ourselves up, but there is still yet a lot of work to be done. And that gives us hope. That gives us hope that the work that we do is going to come to fruition. It might take us 300 years, 400 years, not even in our lifetime, but that gives us hope. And that is what I choose to be part of every day, right? Is to move that dial, even if it's to move it 0.5%. As long as we're moving it in the right direction, and you are moving that dial in the right direction with everything that you're doing for Hana. And I want to say thank you for the work that you do. I know it can't be easy uh, to be holding that flag of, uh, of diversity, inclusion every single day it can be in a very exhausting task in itself. Uh, so uh, I thank you for everything that you do and uh, long may you do it. Let's see the change. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.